Good morning again, everyone. It's great to see you all. Uh, Merry Christmas. I hope your week was wonderful uh, with family. Uh, I know that our house had a great time. Uh, this was our very first Christmas with our three children that we started fostering uh, at the beginning of the year. And so that was awesome, and it was uh, quite a new experience, as you can imagine, going from having no kids to three. The Christmas looked uh, just a little different, you know, I, you know, just a little, <laughs> not too much, but no, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, but it was fantastic, you know, to be able to celebrate with family. Uh, we did Zoom calls with extended family so that we could see people and, and uh, celebrate this season together. So I really hope that everyone was able to have a very wonderful Christmas with family uh, as much as you can with, you know, this crazy year. But um, it, was, it was really, really good. And actually, uh, I did figure out one one thing that's always bugged me ever since I was a kid. Um, I always wondered, you know, mom, why do you always buy me these clothes for Christmas all the time? And, and it was always something that I never got because, I mean, come on, mom, you know that it's not on the top of my list. But now that I'm a parent, I figured it out. See, kids always need new clothes all the time, but around Christmas, you can buy the clothes, wrap them, and then the kids think that you got all these presents for them, but they were going to get them anyway, let's be real. And so this way, they're like, oh, mom, dad, you're awesome. You bought all these presents. And like my youngest, he's two, and he was so excited on Christmas, like every you know couple minutes, he's just over there going, you know, like so excited to open a present and then he would unwrap one and it'd be a bunch of clothes and he'd just kind of like look at it and we would try to talk it up. Be like, oh, those are so awesome. You're going to look great. And then he'd just kind of throw it aside, wait for the next one. But overall, you know, you've got all these gifts and so they feel good about it. So I get it now. I get it. I get how tricky parents are. And so if you, if you parents have any other, you know, tricks like that, just let me know um, as we continue to learn how to do this thing. Um, but it, was, it really was a great Christmas. And Christmas really is, a, a lot of it's about uh, family time, right? Even those who are not Christians who still celebrate the season, uh, they'll point to family as a big part of what Christmas is about. And family is important. And today we are continuing our series in Advent. Actually, we're, we're going to end it today. Um, and we've spent four weeks and five sermons on Advent, including today, and it's because it's very important. Advent celebrates Jesus Christ and his work, his person, and everything that happens with uh, the ministry of Jesus Christ, and a big part of what we're talking about today with glorification is the result of being in God's family, And so family is very important because glorification, as we will explore today, is the final piece of the inheritance that we receive as children of God. And so glorification is a big word that basically it refers to what is yet to come when Jesus comes again. He is going to come in glory and in splendor, and he is going to make himself known to the entire world, and everything is going to change. It is the final step of our redemption. It is the day when we will be given new bodies, a reflection of what Christ had when he died on the cross and he was raised from the dead. That resurrection, he was given a new body, and then he had some time here on earth where he revealed himself 
to the church, and then he ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. That is a promise to us that we will also have new bodies with the second coming of Christ, that there is so much more that is yet to come. And we are going to see today that even though glorification is the last step in this journey to redemption, and it is a wonderful and beautiful promise, that glorification itself has tremendous ramifications for our life today, in the everyday. Because even though it may be the last step of this journey of redemption, we are on that journey right now. And there is a process that goes to that point. And so, yes, we are going to be talking about something that is yet to come, but we are also going to be talking about today. And so we cannot forget the present and the life that we have right now on this earth when we think about glorification. And so we're going to talk about a little bit what glorification is, and we're going to then dive into the ramifications of glorification. And the passage that we're going to be um, looking at and kind of seeing what it says is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. And so if you could turn there with me, we will read this passage, we will pray, and then we're going to jump right into our time um, talking about this inheritance that we're going to receive. And so 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you so much for this season, this this Advent season that we have been celebrating. Jesus, you have done, you still do, and you will do so much for us. We cannot begin to express how grateful we are, how much your love means to us, and yet we will still try because, Lord, you deserve all of our worship and all of our praise. Father, I ask that this time in this place today that we are able to submit ourselves to you, that we are able to recognize your glory, recognize everything that you are doing so that we may worship you and submit ourselves to you and live a life that honors you. Even as we look forward to glorification, look forward to a future where you will come again and rule supreme over all and be known completely As we look forward to this, when we get our new bodies and we are able to live beside you, even as we look forward to that, let that influence our worship today. God, we thank you and we we praise you in all things. Amen. All right, so we're going to dive right into what it means for glorification as a whole, what it means for us um, as a part of our inheritance, okay? So glorification, like I said, and we're not going to get into a deep the- theological thing about glorification, okay? That, that could take days to really teach through all of that. Glorification is quite simply, when Christ comes again, we, the living and the dead Christian, 
will be raised up and we will be given new bodies. It says in scripture that we will be glorified like Christ is, like he has already shown us the example of and lives in currently. And we will spend eternity in the presence of God, worshiping and living with him without any pain, without any suffering, without any sin, fear, none of that. It will be the culmination of all of his work of redemption through his people in the church. And so that, that is glorification in a nutshell. But how it applies to us today has a lot to do with how glorification is going to come about and how it ties in to the rest of our inheritance that we have. And so to have an inheritance means that you are a part of a family. You are part of a family and your father gives you an inheritance. That's kind of how it works. And so when we're talking about this, we have to first address how are we family How does this actually look? How does this apply? And how is this going to influence our thought about the second coming of Christ and glorification and the completed work of redemption that Jesus Christ does within us? And so we've got a few things in light of us being a family, of Christians being a family. I've got a few things that we're going to address. One is that we are adopted. We are adopted. We are not blood children, you know, biological children of the Father. We are created by him, but we are not blood children of his. Rather, every Christian is adopted into God's family. When you turn to God, you you recognize and you confess the evil that you do, the sin that you have in your life, When you do that and you repent of it, turn away from it and say, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to instead pursue a life of obedience to Jesus Christ to live like him. When that happens, God adopts you into your family. And adoption is very specific and intentional by God in this moment because he is saying that no matter who you are or where you've come from or what background you have, he's saying none of that matters because I choose you. See, adoption is a choice where he is saying, I love you so much even though even though I, I really have no need to, yet I still choose and adopt you, still want you. And when he does that, he becomes our father, a perfect father. And all that should come with that, forgiveness, grace, mercy, comfort, joy, provision. And I recognize right now that for some of you, the image of a father is not as it should be. I recognize that earthly fathers have failed many. And that even though this should be an encouragement, and it is, that some people, when, they, when you think of a father, it, it's not really something you want because your experience has dictated your perception of just the concept, right? I recognize this, and this, this is a reality. First off, I, I want to say I'm sorry that that's been your experience. I mean, that sucks. A father is supposed to care and love and provide. 
it's supposed to be a safe place, and often it is not. I mean, you can just look at statistics in the United States alone. You can look at statistics in Texas alone. And fathers have failed so many. And there's a very specific reason for this, I believe. And that is because it is a very important part of how God interacts with his people. He uses language of him being a father often, and that is uh, intentional and it's purposeful, and he does it so that we may have a perfect relationship with him. And so the enemy comes in and destroys the image of a father so that we are separated even more from God. Even people who are Christians for their entire lives, for a long time, struggle with the concept of God as their father because their fathers just sucked. And so I'm sorry. The enemy has worked very intentionally to try to destroy your relationship with God. And even if you don't recognize it, there can sometimes still be just that hint of distance that you keep from God because just the idea of him being a heavenly father, just reading scripture and seeing that can make you cringe. But I'm here to tell you that God as a father is perfect in every single way. Every way that a father here on earth may fail you or let you down or not live up to expectation, God the Father, he takes all that and he says, I am perfect. I will never let you down. I will never fail you. I am complete and I will always provide for you and be there for you. And so take, take all those things where you may, you may be holding on to it, where you may be thinking, you know, I wish that my dad did this, or I wish, you know, this had happened, or I had this type of experience, or even that he was just there at all. Whatever those things may be, just know that God is perfect, and him as a father is everything you ever wished for. And so he adopts us. He becomes our father. The second thing that happens then is that we have a beloved family with beloved siblings. The church are your brothers and sisters. And now, even at that, some people may come right back to the point of, well, I've been hurt by people in the church. I've had these experiences where I have not been treated or or I have not had good relationship with people within the church and I don't really see this beloved sibling thing. Um, There's pain there still. Just like we have pain with fathers, with, with parents, there's pain within the church. God the Father is perfect in every way. Our siblings, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not. And that's a reality right now. Now, see, the cool thing is that glorification, this is the promise that that will end. This is the promise that one day we will not have to struggle with those things. We will not have to struggle with conflict and sin within the church, within brothers and sisters. And it will be, it will be awesome. But right now, the truth is that we are not perfect. And yet, we are still brothers and sisters. And so what does that look like for us today as we deal with the fact that we still have sin, temptation, struggle, hurt, pain? 
How does that work? And how can John say here, beloved, when he talks to the church? How can we look at each other and say, beloved? Be able to have an intimate relationship with one another because we are siblings, beloved siblings. I think there's three things that we need to focus on. Three things that will allow us to have this family that we should. One is love. We need to focus on love for one another. We need to make sure that that is at the forefront of our minds, where even if somebody is in the church and maybe you've never really even talked to them, you don't really know them very well, but you can, with your full heart, love them and care for them. I don't know everybody super well, and let's be honest, there's a bunch of churches around the world, right, that we don't know everybody, and yet it says in Scripture that we are a family. So we love each other. We care about each other. That takes a very intentional uh, putting yourself down so that God can be raised up. Because we want to think in selfish terms, right? We want to think about what do I get out of relationships? How, how does this benefit me? Or, or what's this look like in terms of my own life? But God is calling us to be in a family where we think of everyone else first. And if we can do that, then it gives us so much more joy. Because let's be real, everything that we keep thinking that we want, those selfish thoughts, the way that we pursue our own happiness, where does it lead? Does it actually lead to your own happiness? No, it never does. There's always then, oh man, I got this, or this happened, and I feel good about this. But what about that next thing? What about this next step? Move forward to this, right? We will always continuously want more. But God says that if we just have joy in our family where we can look to one another, even if you don't know them, and say, beloved, I care for you. I love you. I'm here for you. Man, that will bring you joy and peace. And the next thing comes from this is that forgiveness must be common within the church. We must forgive each other. Because though God is perfect, we are not. And so we will fail each other. We will let each other down We'll have instances where we say the wrong thing and may not even know it, but you're still wronging someone. And so we must be able to forgive each other. And this is only possible through the love that Christ shows us, that the Holy Spirit instills within us. And so we must love one one another and we must forgive one another. And oftentimes people will stop at the forgiveness and say, we just got to forgive. But there's another thing, another step that has to happen within the church so we can be a perfect family and a beloved siblings with one another. And that is that we must repent of our sin toward one another. Yes, we must forgive someone when they wrong us, but that person must repent and turn away. What's the good of that person, you know, being forgiven, but then they go back and do the exact same thing again and again and again? Yes, we will always forgive, 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 right? That's what we should do. But is there any repentance in that person's heart then? If they will not repent of their sin, are they even a part of the family then, if there is no repentance? 
And now I'm going to turn it back on yourself. Have you been doing the same sins against your brothers and sisters over and over and over and never repented of it? Have you been harboring bitterness towards someone in the church, a brother or sister in Christ, and you won't repent of it? Do you gossip? Do you slander? I don't know what it is, but is there sin that you have been committing towards someone and you refuse to repent? Because without repentance, what are we doing? We must have love for one another that leads to forgiveness and repentance to one another. And when that all happens, then we are able to look at each other and say, Beloved, I love you, I care for you, I forgive you. We can have relationship. It means that we can be a family the way it's supposed to look like. And the last point, as a family, we have an assurance of our adoption. In Romans 8.16, it says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Assurance is very important because if anyone's dealt with uh, adoption or, or step families or you know, uh, anything like this, there is a difficulty for adopted children to really believe that they're loved. It's difficult. It is a struggle. Society has really put in this idea, and I think it's ingrained in a, in a way where, where blood matters so much that when that's not there, doubts creep in all the time. This is something, even as my wife and I pursue adoption, this is something that um, like our caseworkers and, and other people have really talked to us a lot about, is that as much as we may you know, do the right thing, show love, support, whatever it may be, as much as we do all that, that the truth is that it may just not really click for a long time or it may be an insecurity for the rest of our kids' lives. It is hard for us to believe that adoption means that we are truly loved. And when we are talking about this and and relating it to God adopting all of us, we also have a hard time believing that God actually loves us. That he actually has adopted us. And and just as a parent, just as I say to my kids, man, you're mine. Whether you're biological or adopted, you're mine. In the same way, God, through the Holy Spirit, as it says in Romans, God repeatedly says to us, you are mine. And we can hold on to that and we can actually know for a fact that we are adopted, that we are saved, that we are part of his family and that we can look forward to a future of glorification, an eternity with him. We can know for a fact this is possible. And I still recognize it's difficult. It is hard to believe it. And so let's think for a second about the phrase, beloved, we are God's children now. This is John speaking to the church saying, beloved brothers and sisters whom I love, we are God's children now. Just think about what that actually means. My struggle personally is to actually apply this truth to myself 
And I know I'm not alone in that. I believe that is true to other people, but I struggle with myself. Beloved, we are God's children now. Do you struggle with this? Do, when, when I say that, when I say you are God's child now, do you feel it? Does it actually do something? The love of a father, the love of God is so great that the simple statement, the fact of you are a child of God now, that should do something in our hearts. Do you believe it? Do you feel this? Do you understand this? Or do you tell yourself, I still struggle with this same sin. I still continuously let him down. I say to you, beloved, you are a child of God. Or do you say to yourself, I am so caught up in my own thoughts and my anxiety and my fear and I just keep going over and over and over all these situations, all these things, and I just can't lay them aside. I say to you, beloved, you are a child of God now. Or are you someone that, that keeps going through all the doubts of, man, is this even possible that there is a God that created all things? Is it even possible that there can be a, a way to worship God through, through, this, through all the secular things that we see in the world? What about like science and, and these things? Shouldn't they point toward God? And I say they do. And I tell you that even in your doubts, beloved, you are a child of God now. Or maybe you're someone that's caught in the throes of depression where everything in your life seems to just be falling apart. You are caught in this and you just can't separate yourself. And you just don't know what to do. And you feel like God is so distant. I say to you, beloved, you are God's child now. Beloved church, enter into a new year with confidence, knowing that no matter what you're going through, no matter what things may be happening in your life or how you're feeling, or how many doubts you may have, have assurance that you are God's child now and forevermore. And we can believe all of this because there is evidence. There is visible evidence of our inheritance as children of God. And so we're going to talk about two, uh, two types of inheritance, right? Two, two visible evidences. One is our present inheritance, and the next is our future inheritance. And when I am talking about this, I am saying that this is visible. We see this. It is evidence. 
All right? So our first, what's our present inheritance? How is this visibly present right now? Our salvation. The evidence is your life. When we are saved, salvation comes, justification comes, and we are transformed and made new, there is a change that happens. Over your lifetime, after that point, you will pursue Jesus Christ and you will be made more like him, which means you will repent of sin, it will be squashed underneath you, and you will move forward, worshiping the Father. And after a while, you can look back and see a huge change. For, for this, uh, this past semester, um, for one of my seminary classes, they asked me to uh, do a timeline, basically, in my life. Uh, before I was a Christian, uh, after I became a Christian, and, and on through. And uh, basically the goal was to be able to say, okay, what areas of sin really, you know, were holding on to you throughout your life? And how have you seen God do something about that, right? And so I was able to walk through this journey of my entire life, looking at before I was a Christian, all the way through till now. And I was talking to one of my buddies who knew me in college. He knew me before I was a Christian and he knew me after I was a Christian, and, uh, and we've kept in touch even till today and speak constantly. And so he was kind of walking through this with me as I was doing it. And then he said, hold on, wait a second. I just want to encourage you. And he was like, the person you are today, you wouldn't recognize them in, in college. The guy you were back then is so radically different. It's not even the same person. That is encouraging. I mean, I was a real, there's, there's children in here. I was not a nice person before I was a believer. I was selfish, narcissistic, conceited. I, I did a lot of things that I was, I'm not proud of. And God transformed me and changed everything. I can look at that person and say, I have nothing to do with them because I am a new creation. Our lives are evidence of our present inheritance as children of God because you are becoming more like Jesus daily. And if you're looking back and you're thinking, I don't see this, I don't see any kind of transformation, then I say two things to you. One, you're possibly denying the work of Jesus in your life. Don't deny what God does in you. You are a beautiful creation of the living God who has adopted you into his family and chosen to interact with you on a personal level so that you may be made like him, made holy, so that your evil, your sin can be set aside and you can be something that he desires and pursues. That, that's wonderful. Don't deny it. Don't focus on all the areas that you continuously fail in, but look at the areas that he has redeemed you from. God is doing something special in you personally. Rejoice in that. Celebrate what God does. 
Because that is evidence that you are saved. And then on the other hand, I would also say that if you look back and you say, I have not changed, I still do all these things, I haven't had any change of heart, then I say to you, maybe you don't have an inheritance. The beauty of that, though, is that you can. Maybe you've been lying to yourself in the other way where you actually don't know who God is because you never submitted yourself to him. Maybe you learned all the lingo. Maybe you know how to say the things. Maybe you've gone to church for years, but you never actually have a change of heart. You never actually surrender yourself to God. Instead, you want God just to fix all your problems. And so you say, I'll just do this and do this, and God should do his part. It's a relationship. And so I say to you, turn to him. And I promise you that there will be change. And it is not too late. It's never too late to turn to God and to say, yes, I, would, I want this inheritance. I want to be a child of God now. But there is evidence Our salvation is not something that we have to wonder about. It is something that we can have assurance in because God grants us evidence in our present inheritance. And then our future inheritance. There will be a very, very visible evidence of our future inheritance coming true. In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, it says, But our citizenship is in heaven, And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. When Jesus comes again and we are granted new bodies and glorification, we will be made to reflect him. It will be the completion of our process of sanctification. We will be transformed, new bodies that have no stain of sin at all. All temptation, all fear, doubts, everything, pain, suffering, it's gone. We don't have to, we don't have to worry about it anymore. We will have a complete renewal of our body, our mind, and our soul. And when John says, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The very visible evidence will be quite apparent because we will be able to see God as we've never seen him before. The word see in this passage, the Greek actually means to perceive or or see something inwardly, to understand it inwardly, we will be able to perceive and understand both the physical world and the spiritual world like we've never been able to before. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see in a mirror dimly. In this life, we're looking at things from just one perspective, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. As God knows you fully now, you will be able to perceive him in all his glory, in all his majesty. Right now, the separation between us and God is because we have a stain of sin on us. 
but that sin will be gone completely and we will be given new bodies so that we can interact with him completely. That's going to be a wonderful day. It's going to be a glorious day where we're going to be able to worship the Father and know him fully. And there will be no doubts in anyone's minds because this revelation is coming and we will be glorified, as it says uh, in Scripture, beside Jesus Christ next to the Father. But everyone is going to know. Every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and God's true glory will be revealed to the entire world. And in that moment, we will be granted our inheritance in full. And this is encouraging for the believer. But there's also another side to this. That yes, the believer, the Christian, will be granted our inheritance in full, but then everyone else will not. Our lives right now is a journey to become more like Jesus. And we will become like Jesus or we won't. We believe and we repent of our sin today or we don't. We will live forever in his presence, worshiping with him or we won't. We'll have an eternity of bliss and, and joy and happiness without pain or fear, or we won't. That's what hell is, an alternative from eternity with God. It is eternal separation from God. And I'm here to tell you right now, those are the two choices. There's nothing else. So you are either with God in eternity, in glorification, or you are separated from God. It's rather simple. Today, you can walk out of this place, you can turn off your screen, you can leave this time knowing that you are saved, being assured in your salvation, knowing that you are a child of God now. You can have complete confidence and that can give you joy and you can leave this place just ready for everything because you know that you have a God beside you that will always be there for you. You can walk away with that. Or you could walk away and be condemned for your sin and the evil that you do and your unwillingness to have relationship with the living God. And this may sound a little harsh, but it's the truth. You are either a child of God or you reject his family. You reject his offer to be adopted. The great thing, though, is that you can change that today. You can come to know him. We have spent this entire month in Advent celebrating Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. 
He came and entered into human history as a man and died on the cross without any sin of his own, yet he took all of ours. And he died, paid the price for that sin, and then he rose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven next to the Father. And in that promises us that we will also have eternal life with him if we just confess and believe and repent and live a life honoring and obeying God. It is a free gift that he wants you to take and he wants you to be a part of his family and he has put it on the table and said, this is for you. Are you going to take it? Are you going to accept this free and amazing gift? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for saving me. In my sin, in, in, in my grief, in, in my pain, God, you chose to pluck me out of it and say, you are mine. You have done this for every believer, every Christian who follows you and who has confessed their sin, turned away from it, repented of it, and lived in obedience towards you. You have saved us. Father, I thank you. Father, I thank you that that you are the perfect Father. That we can come to you and you will not shove us away. You will not say, I don't have time for you. You will not say, I don't understand you. You will say, I love you and I care for you. Tell me about it. Lord, we love you so much because you love us. We cannot express in our limited language everything that should be expressed. And yet, God, all I can say is hallelujah. Praise be to you and to what you, and to what you have done within your people. God, I want to be a part of that. And I ask that if there's anyone in this place who wants to be a part of that and have never experienced it before, Holy Spirit, work on their heart. And right now you can. All you must do is confess that you have sinned, that you have lived a life apart from God and say, Jesus, I want you. I want that. I want to be your child, Father. And leave this place knowing, without a shadow of a doubt, knowing that you are a child of God now. Praise your name, Father. Amen.